Hello everyone, it's Claire and Suze here from R Plus Equine. Welcome to our podcast where we have been looking at how to get started with R Plus training. Um, last time um, in our first ever podcast, we looked at how the horse speaks. So we covered thresholds, we covered calming signals, so the little um, signals the horse gives off when they're getting a bit worried and how that can escalate into big um, explosive behaviours. Um, we advised um, you guys to sit in the field with your horse, um, observe how your horse interacts with the herd, um, observe how the horse interacts with yourself. Um, we, if you've been following our Facebook page, then everything has sort of been geared towards this subject of how the horse speaks. So that we put a video up of little um, snippets of different horses speaking in, in, in the way that they speak. We, um, we've recommended books. Um, so hopefully you've um, found that all useful. And um, so, Suze, we sort of said that we didn't really start in this place, did we? We didn't start with um, how the horse speaks. We just kind of jumped right in, which is why we're kind of trying to take you, the listener, um, through a kind of methodical process of um, where we get through R plus training. So um, let's think now, the listener, Suze, they've done all the things that we've suggested. So they've sat in the field and they've read books and they're really, really confident with, um, feeling like they're confident with how the horse speaks. Um, they feel like they, they know um, their horse's signals. Um, so what next? Well, I, th I think the next place we go is how do they learn? Because that's something that's made a huge difference to my training and my, my own horses um, is understanding what's actually happening and what it is we're trying to achieve. So just understanding how horses learn and, and what's involved really helped to further things along uh, with my own personal training. So I thought that would be a good place to go today. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I think um, for myself, I'm, I'd much rather be out training the horses than, you know, um, learning, um, you know, how the horse learns and, you know, with booking hand. But I think it's, it's so important, um, this, this part of the, the puzzle, the part of the bigger picture, because for me, it, it kind of consolidated, um, well, I don't know if consolidated is the right word, but it, it just made me realize why I train in the way I train really and and you know that how good that is you know and then it made me recognize when I was um maybe not using R plus and using um other quadrants which we'll talk about in a minute <laughs> but yeah it um it's definitely if you can just get a basic understanding of learning theory then um it will set you up but I think, um, so we're going to go into that, aren't we, Suze? Um, yeah. So do you want to, um, we're, we're going to try and make this as simple as possible, um, which is, you know, where we're trying to head with our page. Um, so 
Suze, do you want to try and um, explain classical conditioning? Yeah, so trying to get this simple, um, we'll probably use some examples, may not even be horse related examples, but just to help people understand the theory behind it without trying to go too far into it and to get it too complicated, because I think that's where I went wrong at the start, that I read all these scientific books and it just all went over my head. So having it in a in a simple format with some examples, hopefully that that ring true to you at home. So we'll start with classical conditioning. So conditioning, if you replace the word conditioning with learning, that makes it a little bit easier. Um, so classical conditioning is the association of one thing to another thing. So we use this with the clicker training because the horse has to learn that the clicker means food's coming. So when you first pick up your clicker and click it about, the horse doesn't really, it might be a bit frightened of it, but it probably doesn't really notice it or doesn't really care about it. If you pick up a clicker in my stables, you'll get four sets of ears looking at you. <laughs> so it's about associating the click with the food, um, but it's not just with the clicker, they, they're doing um, associative learning or classical conditioning all the time. So when you first have a, say you've got a horse that's never had a bucket feed before, a bucket might not mean anything to that horse. Um, with re repetitions of the bucket appearing in their stable with food in it, they're gonna start thinking, oh, the bucket's great because it means there's food in it. So it's that uh, association between one thing and another thing. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think um, it's important to say that it goes both ways. Um, so you can have, um, it can be a positive um, association, but it can also be a negative association too. So say for instance, you um, have a halter. So initially the whole, you walking into the field with a halter means nothing to the horse. The halter means nothing to the horse. Um, and then the majority of the time you're going into the field, you're um, putting the halter on the horse, you're taking the horse from the field and you're riding that horse. And during the ride, the horse um, has some sort of pain, um, maybe in its feet, maybe in its back, maybe in its hocks wherever so now over a period of time the horse will associate you in that halter and being taken from the field with pain um so then um the horse eventually starts to see you and that halter and walk away from you um and you know it's important just to realize you know that's that's your way that's the horse's way of speaking again and we need to look at the why behind that but we're not going to go down that road now because we're on something else <laughs> my brain <laughs> will go off that way <laughs> but <laughs> rain it in love <laughs> so would you do you think about classical conditioning claire as like the horse's emotional response to something as well you yeah know, so, yeah so the feeling the bucket means food's coming which means yay brilliant the halter means pain's coming for example and they think oh that's not great so it's sort of how the horse feels about um the the thing that whether it's the halter or the or the bucket of feed or the clicker um and how the horse then feels 
sort of on an emotional level as well. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, so um, to sum that up then, um, and, and stimuli that possibly means nothing to the horse at first is then paired with something nice or nasty, or not nasty, undesirable. Um, and he makes that association, he or she makes that association between those things and that can go either way. Nice, nice or undesirable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hopefully that's made sense to people. Yeah, so right, this next one, operant conditioning um, is like, I found it quite tricky to get my head around this one. Um, so it's kind of, so we have operant conditioning and under that umbrella, there are four quadrants. So there are four areas under that umbrella. And I was trying to think of how we could make this um, a bit easier to understand. So if you think of um, a box of cupcakes, everything in that box is cupcakes, but you might have one that is chocolate, one that is frosted, one that is orange flavor. Can you get orange flavor cupcakes? I don't know. Um, and then um, one that is rainbow colored. No, they're all cupcakes. So they all come under this umbrella of um, cupcakes, but they're all slightly different. And some you may like and some you may dislike. So would yeah. you, do you reckon yeah. that's about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the whole, the purpose of each pup, cupcake is to stop you feeling hungry, but they're all gonna do it in a slightly different way because they all taste different and look different. Good, yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, so the first, let's go with positive reinforcement first because I think that's probably the easiest cupcake to... <laughs> so that's the chocolate one. That's the chocolate one, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so positive reinforcement. We're adding something nice to increase the behavior. So you might see positive reinforcement written down as R plus. That's how we um, abbreviate, is that the right word? Yeah, Sue says yeah, but it didn't come up on the, <laughs> on the sound. Um, yeah, so um, do you wanna give an example, Suze? Yeah, so positive reinforcement is obviously R plus equine is what we are. Yeah. And so we use positive reinforcement as much as we possibly can. So positive reinforcement would be adding something. So for example, you want your dog to sit. So you say sit, the dog sits and the dog gets a bone. So I find it with dogs. I've recently got into training dogs, well, my dogs. Um, and we're trying to do it solely with positive reinforcement. But I think that's uh, an easier example than with horses because it's more commonly seen in dogs with the clicker training and the R plus training. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, okay, negative reinforcement then. So we're removing something unpleasant to increase behavior with negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement is used a lot in the horse world. Um, so things like um, Pirelli and natural horsemanship, it, it come 
comes under the sort of quadrant of negative reinforcement. Have you got an example of that, Suze? Uh, so we can go, we'll start with the dog one again. Just to oh, yeah. So you want your dog to sit, so you push on its bum, and when it sits, you stop pushing on its bum. So you've released the pressure of your hand on its bum, pushing it down when it sits. So with horses, an example would be if we want the horse to stop. So we're riding our horse and we want it to stop. So we put a bit of a pull on the reins, the horse's feet stop moving, and then we stop pulling. So the release of pressure um, is then that release of the pressure on the horse's mouth with the bit. So that would be negative reinforcement. And I think it's important that we mentioned that it doesn't have to be physical pressure to be negative reinforcement. Would you agree, Claire? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, so take the work I do with the um, pony. So what would you do in that? So if you've got a wild pony that's really scared of people, you would use negative reinforcement to, to get closer to it. Yeah, definitely. Up and give it a treat, could you? No, no. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've got a... a proven protocol that I've used um, so many times with um, the ponies that come in um, and yeah it is you know it can only be described as negative reinforcement because I'm removing myself um, yeah. from their environment you know because like you say you can't um, walk up to them and and for me it's really important that you don't keep them in a tiny space or in a stable and kind of impinge on that because they're so fearful as it is you know I, I, I want them to um I want to work on getting a positive association with with me so I find just working with them um I, I work with you know some often we have groups come in you know two four and I'll work with all of them in the field um so that they're all together that they feel the comfort of each other. And then what you'll often find is um, the more confident ones will lead the least confident ones. So yeah, um, but that's going off, off subject. Just out of interest, because I think it's important that we say that there are times when negative reinforcement is gonna be the chosen option. Um, so what would you do? So say you've got a wild pony in a field, you know, what, what would be your protocol for that? Um, so basically, um, the any any signal the horse um, any time the horse or the pony notices me, I'll um, just click. They don't know what the click means at first, obviously, um, and then I'll just drop something down that's desirable. Usually, with the wildies. Um, you know things like bucket fees they like what you shared just a minute ago they they don't know what a bucket means so i don't use buckets because it's scary to them at first you know putting putting their head down into a deep bucket you know is is really scary so i'll use hay or haylage and just drop that and walk off right so it's and it's the walking off that is the most reinforcing to them yeah. rather than food yeah, and then I just get on with jobs and wait for them, and they and they find that hay, that hay, and even if they're in a big field full of grass and it's spring, that seeking system and that curiosity often takes over, and that and they go, we need that small pile of hay. So it's it's really interesting. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and then they just kind of um, 
you know, and that'll be all I'll do for the first meet or whatever, you know, and, and just giving them the space they need to um, get used to the new yeah. environment. And yes, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's that very basic thing of just sitting in the field with them. But anyway, we're getting way off subject. Yeah. <laughs> this could be another podcast, eh? <laughs> I find it really interesting that you you know that negative reinforcement does have its uses so we yeah. we're not 100 percent at all yeah we miss I missed the last bit of what you said there Suze because I, I um it's cut out but say that again they're just saying that um sometimes negative reinforcement is is the first port of call you know in some situations yeah and I think done well Negative reinforcement is, you know, it is a, a good tool. Um, whilst, you know, with uh, um, the majority of horses I work with, you know, I'll choose positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. There is a place for it. Um, I think it can be abused. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, if it's done well and, and respectfully, that's probably not a good word to use, but. <laughs> um, yeah what you mean <laughs> yeah so so the next quadrant let's just um sum up that the positive reinforcement and the negative reinforcement um we use to increase um the behavior yeah so um there's well i'd say that it's more likely the horse will increase the behavior rather than we use it to increase the behavior. It's, if we're using those two quadrants, it's more likely that the horse will increase the behavior. So the next um, uh, quadrant is positive punishment. And I, I just like to think, to remember positive punishment, I, I always try and think, well, this is how I, when I initially started learning about it was, like a short sharp shock that's how uh, in my head I remembered positive punishment did I say positive so did I say something else then no you said positive punishment did I yeah <laughs> so um yes so positive punishment then adding something unpleasant to decrease behavior yeah so we're hoping that the behavior is less likely to happen again yeah. So yeah. So example then. So let's go back to horses. So we're um, approaching a jump. The horse stops at the fence. So we give it a whack, and then we turn around and point it at the jump again, um, hoping that this time it goes over the jump. So the positive punishment is obviously being smacked on the backside. Um, so next time it does the behaviour of going over the jump. So we're stopping the behavior of it not going over the jump. And this I think is where, and, I, and we were talking about this before we started, weren't we Claire, about how the, they all merge in together. Yeah. Or positive punishment and negative reinforcement can merge together. The same with um, the positive reinforcement and when we go on to the positive punishment. Um, so, and I think as well, remember that positive and negative are seen in like a maths term. So positive means the addition of something and negative means the taking away of something. So it's not that 
positive is good and negative is bad. It's that positive is you're adding something and negative is that you're removing something. Yeah. So the final um, cupcake in the box <laughs> is um, negative punishment where we remove something nice to decrease behavior. So. so I got a good one for this. All right, go on then. <laughs> the, the example of this I have is um, my kids are really bad about putting their plates in the dishwasher. So they leave it on the surface, uh, on the work surface. So if they leave it on the work surface, I turn the internet off. So they have their internet removed, which is their nice thing for the behavior of the plates being left on the work surface. Uh, so it prevents the repetition of the plates being left in the work surface. So hopefully they might end up in the dishwasher, which would be nice. Yeah, very good. Teenagers. <laughs> So do you have one, uh, a horse one? Um, yeah, so um, maybe um, pawing um, while the, the horse eats the um, from a bucket feed, which happens so often. I see so many posts on social media about that. Um, so you would then take away the bucket and then the horse stops pawing. So you're taking away the something nice to stop um, the behavior, which is the pawing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll leave you with that. <laughs> Try and get your heads around it. Um, just, I would really recommend just reading up little and often, you know, just um, I, for myself, I just, wrote little cards um, with each of the one on, um, you know, the, the sort of positive reinforcement and then the definition of it and then a couple of examples. And then it's amazing how you start looking then in your training and in your sort of household and um, it really takes over your brain and then you can start, you know, putting, thinking, oh, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, in, in this, um, what am I doing with my horse here? What am I doing with my dog here? And um, it kind of, yeah, like I say, it takes over your brain. But just, yeah, try and we'll, in the next coming days, we'll, um, we've got some infograms um, and information that we'll put out. So it's all written down for you. Um, so hopefully that'll be helpful um, with that but just give yourself time and do what we do with the horses which is tiny bite-sized chunks yeah yeah okay so right so we've got how the horse speaks we've got that down we've learned all the learning theory we're confident in all of that what next is so next a good place to go would be to watch other people train yeah so watch people that have been training with positive reinforcement, but also maybe with negative reinforcement. So you can see you see the learning theory and see what's involved. Because whilst we are proponents of positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement does done well does work. And I'm and I don't den don't deny that. So and it's uh, the both quadrants are about the timing. So you know really yeah. what timing when does the positive reinforcement trainer click 
when does the negative reinforcement trainer release the pressure? And it's all in the time um, is a really good start. So look at, you know, watching people, there's loads of stuff on online now, there's loads of videos to watch and, you know, watch them with a, not a critical eye, but with a, an, an eye that's really looking at what's happening rather than looking at how amazing the tricks are. So when do they click? You know, are, are they good at getting it just on the moment that the behavior is happening? So I think that's a good place to start, like lots of observation. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to say that um, just because we're, say, using positive reinforcement, which is a really lovely ethical way to train, it can also be done quite badly. Um, we, we see a lot of frustrated horses because as soon as you bring food into the mix, it can really, um, if, if you haven't laid down foundations or if you're not really looking for um, the emotional response from the horse, then you know, um, it, there are a lot of stuff, there is a lot of stuff out there that um, is not what you wanna be watching, I guess. But- With a critical eye. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And, um, okay, so um, Suze, question. Um, how do we tell then, I know you said um, watch with a critical eye and, and with the timing and everything, but for someone who, has no idea they're not going to know um how you know is that timing on point or not so are there any other ways we can um pick a good trainer from a a, a not so skilled trainer i think going back to our first podcast looking at how the horse is um reacting and and communicating with the handler and if the handler is noticing so is there frustration and you know signs of frustration is the horse mugging the trainer um is the horse moving around a lot is he pinning his ears so really watching the horse even if you watch the horse and kind of put your hand over the trainer to see how his reactions are and and kind of try and work out what he's saying while they're training i think that's a really good good way of looking at things if the horse looks relaxed and it's calm um then that's got to be a sign of a good trainer because that's how, you know, it's working. Definitely. And I think turning your volume down is another thing to do. Um, yeah. Just, you know, have no distractions on that video and, and turn the volume down and just, you know, watch, like Sue says, watch the horse. Um, because the horse is, the, you know, the biggest clue, isn't it? Um, in Into how, and I, I think... So it can be tricky watching videos online because we are only getting a little snippet of the bigger picture, um, which is something that is important to consider. Um, so, you know, we don't know the background of that horse or the history of that horse and that trainer together. So you might, you know, the horse might be showing signs of stress, um, but that horse may have come from, to say, the more, you know, um, you know, so my little um, more pony, she carries a lot of stress. Um, you don't often see her completely relaxed. So some of our training sessions, you know, that, that I post, she doesn't look very relaxed, but she's more relaxed than she was a year ago, two years ago, you know? So it's important to bear that in mind as well, I think. Um, so it's not just, again, it's not just linear. 
it's never linear with horses. <laughs> Hardly not. <laughs> no, and also um, thinking about you know what the why behind the behaviour. So what what are you observing in the video? What is the trainer trying to teach the horse? Um, I think there's a lot around today where um, the sort of purpose of the um, behaviour is questionable. For myself, I always ask, why am I training this? And is it beneficial for the horse before I train anything? Um, and it's okay to have a bit of fun. I, you know, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, it is it's fine to, you know, if you're training your horse to smile or something like that, you know, um, that was actually a behavior I trained my more pony when she, um, we first started working together because any sort of me being near too close to her, any sort of movement, any sort of touch on any part of her body was just too much for her. So actually the smile, um, I could keep my distance, um, and, and she was okay with being touched just around her nose. So it had purpose for her. But, you know, you see a lot of this sort of tricksy, amazing, big showy type training. And, and you've got to think, you know, why? What's in it for that horse? Yeah. Definitely. Is that going to improve that horse's life? Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. Okay, so next step then, so we've, I'll keep going back to it, but I think it's good, repetition is good. <laughs> we'll talk about that a bit later in the training. Um, so learn how the horse speaks, understanding learning theory. Now we've observed trainers online, um, good trainers. Oh, that's the other thing, just to quickly say before we move on is, um, if you're unsure of who's good and who is not so skilled, message us, because we've got people we um, like to watch and we like to learn from that we believe are skilled trainers. Um, so just message us if, you, if you're not sure and we'll just ping you a few names. Um, so we've done all that. Now what? So watch the trainer. Then we need to find out what the horse likes. So what, you know, if I, if someone tried to reinforce a behavior that I did with, for example, red wine, I'm not going to do that behavior. If cooking dinner got me red wine, I wouldn't cook dinner. <laughs> However, if cooking dinner got, bought me gin, I would cook dinner every night. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to decide what works for the horse, what the horse finds reinforcing. So some people can use scratches and that's reinforcing enough. Um, often it's not, but you know, for some horses at the right time of year and they're a bit itchy, you know, maybe their coats are changing, scratches might work. And I think what's important to, to see is that does it make the behavior more likely to happen? That's, ha that's a really good test is if I use this reinforcer, does the behavior happen again? So it's a, you know, a good way to find out. So finding and then looking at the food, what food is reinforcing for your horse? So for mine, um, they I, I train mine with hay cobs um, and occasionally carrots for a couple of them. But it, I did try training them with chaff, which they promptly spat out and decided <laughs> that they would rather not. Thank you very much.
but I know a lot of horses will will work for chaff or some will will work with hay won't they or haylage so it's finding what the horse finds the most rewarding and the most reinforcing yeah and going back to what we said earlier you know um that could just be space Space yeah human um one of the exercises i like to do with food um when i'm trying to sort out um like um what the horse likes what is what they're motivated by what they're too motivated by so we look at low value or high value um, foods is I arrange little piles of different foods just on the floor and then let the horse have a little look and see what they go to first and see what they seek out first um, and then it sort of gate gives you a gauge of well that might be too um, over exciting for the horse um, that might work you know and, and just kind of giving them a choice to see see where they stand with it but um yeah so that that's a that's a really good point um I also think we um want to investigate kind of the tools that we reduce so obviously food but also the the clicker so getting you if you're going to use a clicker um not everybody does i with the wildies i don't because it scares them um so i just use a gentle tongue click um but um so just getting used to the clicker in your hand um and you know looking at um where are you going to put your food how are you going to carry that you know and for myself i've got a massive pocket where you know i can easily access the, the food and quickly deliver the food to the horse um, but for some people the pockets aren't going to be big enough so do you need a little bag or uh, some people use over the shoulder bags bum bag bum bun bag bum bags or fanny packs if you're in America um, <laughs> <laughs> we find that funny over here <laughs> <We're childish>. um, <laughs> um, yeah you know so just getting your eye in with the tools there's a really good website um which is buckyou.co.uk she's got a section on her um website where she carries you know clicker equipment you can get stuff for like reverse round pens there's cones and there's all sorts going on there so have a look there and um yeah so just getting a feel for equipment that you might need and it's not there's not a, a huge list of equipment which is great isn't it Suze, for this type of training you don't need um you don't need loads of money and you don't to buy elaborate things no you can buy clickers for about one pound fifty i think not mm. very expensive at all um and going back to the pockets in the bum bags i find i personally now use a bum bag particularly for harry who is very food motivated he gets very frustrated so that I'm a bit, I'm guilty. I had this manky old gilet, which luckily the dogs have eaten um, <laughs> because there was some dog food in it and they thought that was rather nice. Um, if I was wearing that gilet, Harry would be really frustrated when I was working around the, st around the stables. You know, he thought that, oh my goodness, she must be coming over to, to, to train and to, I can get some food from her and I couldn't go in the stable with him. So I now use a bum bag, which I can put on and take off. And then he knows if I've got no bum bag on, then, you know, he can just chill out and eat his hay net. And um, so I am very, the other horses, it was fine. I could walk around with food in my pockets and it wasn't an issue, but Harry, it was too much for him. So just, I think that's something to be aware of. 
you know that's maybe for the next podcast but just something to be aware of thinking ahead is it gonna if I've got food on me all the time if I accidentally leave food in my pocket and I forget to take my coat off or my gilet off or whatever um is that going to cause frustration when you're not working with the horse yeah that's a great point actually yeah I think um yeah like you say we can touch on that um a bit more further down down the line yeah but definitely something to be mindful of when you're starting to think about your equipment yeah yeah so we've done we've done that um we've got our little we're, we're confident in having the clicker in our hand and we've bought all the staff we're there you know we've got it strapped around our waist we're ready to go so um the next thing which sounds absolutely bizarre and weird and stupid and you might feel a bit stupid doing it but um I would say get a human involved and just do some sessions with a human. Um, It's really um, valuable. Um, I found it just for my earlier training. Oh, we've lost you, Susie. You still there? Oh, there. She's she's back in the room. (laughs) I need to plug in. Okay. Let's plug in. Okay. Right. Yep. Here you. Okay. Yeah. So, um, just. Uh, Sorry, that was my fault. No, that's all right. No, it's fine. These things happen. <laughs> um. Yeah. So training a human, getting a human involved. Um, for myself, it, it's it's been really valuable. Um, I think. When you're training animals, you can't say to the animal, oh no, I clicked there and I shouldn't have clicked there. That. Um, but you can with a human, you know, if you, if you accidentally click in the wrong place, you can just say, oh, ignore that, that was wrong. But you can also ask the human to slow down a bit. Um, I think when you work with animals, um, they move in unexpected ways and um, the amount of times, um, I've kind of had to go out to a client where um, you know they've accidentally reinforced in the wrong place or they clicked in the wrong place, um, and um, now the horse is maybe rather than lifting the leg nicely, it's kicking out, you know, and and so they've inadvertently taught the horse to kick or uh, or whatever. So w- with a human, you can say just can you just not do that or can you slow down and you can really get your timing right and um, it's if you just go into the training session and just say to the human okay I'm not going to tell you what what I'm going to train you um, and then see if they can figure it out um, and it's amazing how quickly they pick it up um, so yeah it's a really um, great thing to do before you start um, with an animal with a horse and I think um, I would say you can teach any species to learn with positive reinforcement training. Um, Some are harder than others. I think um, dogs are really reactive and quick, aren't they, Suze? You're training your dogs at the moment, aren't you, Suze? Yes, I'm attempting to train my dogs. (laughs) I must admit, I find the horses a lot easier, but whether that's that I've had more experience with horses. Um, But yeah, they they are quick and they, they're so, one of them in particular, is so excited about the food and it's so amazing that 
that she's getting food and it's just her normal dog biscuits that she has for her dinner so it shouldn't be too exciting um and she puts so much enthusiasm into it which is which is lovely but trying to get her to be a little bit more relaxed is is a work in progress shall we say but she just loves the food <laughs> yeah so um definitely do that if you've got anyone in your house that would do that with you then um they're a keeper <laughs> um yeah so um the final thing um we would suggest is um getting a trainer on board so i think we're really lucky in in this sort of pandemic um where so many trainers have gone online um you can have your pick of anyone in the world um and um I mean, R plus training locally, it's hard to find an R plus trainer locally. Um, we are, we seem to be few and far between, although we are growing, it's a, it's a growing um, or an area of growth. I think um, if you go online, most people are um, up and running online now, aren't they, Suze? Yeah. I've done a lot of online stuff, um, you know, me personally with training my horses, having a mentor and having having someone to run ideas past and a, a, an unbiased eye has, is so useful, and especially when when starting out. Um, I was lucky to find you at the time you were up the road, which was great. Um, and just having that guidance makes so much difference because it looks easy, doesn't it? That's the trouble. Yeah, it looks, and, and the the idea behind it that you get the behavior and you give them food it seems so simple um which it is but the actual carrying out and the practical side of it it's it's very easy to go wrong and if you can get a good start you know with some guidance it will set you up for the future yeah definitely um i think it just at this point i just want to say that um it, I would have, it, when you're choosing a trainer, um, I would, you know, have a conversation with a few people and, and don't feel bad if you don't choose, um, if you start with someone and then you decide that you're not um, getting along with that particular trainer because, you know, we're all different. We've, we all gel with some people better than others. And, and it's really important to find the right trainer for you. Um, and like Sue says, just having that really good start, you, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm committed to the, you know, having these lessons now, I've got to do that forever, but just having a few to really get you started and then kind of, um, you know, six weeks on having another one and then six weeks on again, just checking in and uh, with your trainer just to make sure that you're on the right track. It, it just, it, it, it will bring you confidence in what you're doing and, and just knowing that you've started off well. Um, yeah, helps you um, think, make sure you're heading in the right direction. But also, you know, it's quite like we've said before, it's a bit lonely being um, training your horse using positive reinforcement because there's not a huge amount of people doing it, although, like you say, it is growing. Um, so just having someone to kind of give you cheerlead you a little bit and say, yeah, this is good. And when you run into troubles, having someone to, to guide you in the right direction so you don't think oh I can't do this I'm going to, just going to go back to what I know which I've done I a couple of times I said I can't do this I'm not doing this anymore so I'll go back to what I know 
um, so it just helps it keeps keeps your confidence up and keeps you going in the right in the right line yeah definitely and I think um that's where a lot of people kind of get stuck so they start and then um it becomes quite tricky maybe the horse gets just um kind of going over threshold with food is a big one um where, and that's where a lot of people kind of stop um and think this isn't the right training for me my horse is um, ridiculous in my pockets and going crazy with with the food around and maybe getting a bit bitey and stuff like that so um they kind of stop and that leads me on to our next point um so when you've done all of what we've just shared in this podcast um and you actually do get out there with a horse use a, a, pick a horse not use a horse that's not very nice is it <laughs> um pick a horse that is um not that isn't a massive foodie that will go over threshold with food um my old mare bella she's she's just never been in my pockets um she's never bitten or anything like that she's a really easy mare to start with um so find a horse that um if you know maybe not your own horse but some maybe someone else will allow you to just have a couple of little sessions with their uh, um, their horse that maybe isn't so food motivated and it will just help you to just get to grips with where your hands need to be um because there's so much to think about when we first start clicker training or r plus training when we um start something new it can feel a bit overwhelming i know um for myself like when i was learning to drive um, I got in the car and I was like oh my gosh I can't think of everything my hands my feet um, I need to look here I need to look in the, the, those mirrors and it was just so overwhelming you know and it can feel a bit like that when um, we start um, our plus training um, so just do all of these things that we absolutely wished we did <laughs> and um, hopefully it'll give you a good start before yeah. you can started so yeah set yourself up for success as much as you do for your horse yeah definitely so i reckon that's that's all and we covered a lot of bases there yeah yeah can you think of anything else that we need to oh there's my yeah. excellent training <laughs> <laughs> the dogs <laughs> Yeah, all right. Well, we'll leave it there then. And um, we hope you enjoyed um, what we had to share today and look out for on our page for um, topics that are all around this. We'll share some infograms, we'll share some video. Um, so yeah, just keep a look out there. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you listening. Bye.